Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today is August 23rd, 2022. This is your host, Brent Foster of the Northbound Wealth Market Insights, a weekly podcast sharing market news data, uh, economic data, and uh, personal finance. So here we go. Uh, weekly market insights week nine and we're off markets tap the brakes but hold fast against downbeat news so stocks tumbled on friday uh, sending stocks to weekly losses after an otherwise quiet august week of trading the dow jones industrial average slipped uh negative 0.16 percent while the s p 500 lost 1.21 percent the nasdaq composite index declined 2.62% for the week in the MSCI EFA index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets fell 0.88%. So that means that the Dow closed last week uh, at 33,706 and change, which is down 7.24% for the year. Uh, the NASDAQ closed at 12,705 and change. That's down around 18.79% for the year. The MSCI EFA index closed at 1,946 and change, which for the year is down around 16.68%. The S&P 500 closed at 4,228 or uh, down around 11.28%. The 10-year treasury note, which we like to cover, closed at 2.98% for the week. That's up about 14 basis points or 14 bips. And year to date is up a whopping 1.46%. Keep in mind, inflation is like at eight or whatever. So uh, the summer rally hits uh, the pause button. The The market rally that began in mid-June paused last week despite the week's losses. Stocks exhibited resiliency in the face of a, of string of economic news that included flat retail sales, weak housing numbers, an inversion in the yield curve, and tepid economic data out of China. Nevertheless, stocks tumbled on Friday amid hawkish comments about future rate hikes, rising bond yields, and ahead of the annual meeting of global central bankers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, in which Fed Chair Jerome Powell is scheduled to speak on August 26, which is in a couple of days. Um, I think they might actually all be flying out there and getting set up for that. So uh, watch that on the news. It's mind-blowing. Um, expect more rate hikes going forward. Minutes from July's FOMC meeting indicated that additional rate hikes would be needed to help manage inflation. Fed officials did acknowledge that further rate hikes risked unintended economic weakness because of the time it takes for higher rates to work through the economy. The committee indicated that they might slow rate hikes to determine the impact of previous rate increases. The minutes also contained in the Fed's latest economic forecast, which projected inflation to decline faster than its June estimate due to bigger economic slowdown in this year's second half. So this week, uh, we've got the PMI index, new home sales, durable goods orders, and jobless claims. 
and gross domestic product uh, on Thursday. So here in a couple of days. Um, this week, companies reporting earnings, Palo Alto Networks, Zoom, uh, Tuesday is Intuit, Wednesday is NVIDIA, Salesforce, Snowflake, then Thursday, Marvell, Technology, Dollar, General Corp, uh, Dell Technologies, and VMware. Hey, this is Brent Foster founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management, also your podcast host. Hey, in this segment, I just want to share with you guys a really great resource that's out there. Uh, it's called Guide to the Markets. It's published by JP Morgan and updated on a quarterly basis. I've been following and uh, analyzing and looking at what JP Morgan Asset Management and their uh, vast research team puts out. So um, I thought it would be useful and helpful for, for those who really are interested in the granular details of, of equity markets, of economics, of government spending, of pretty much every facet. Uh, it's very comprehensive, very thorough, uh, timely. And um, I think it's a great resource for people to check out if they're geeking out about what we do in the professional field of finance. So uh, one of the slides I like to point out, there's like probably five that I really like, and this is one of them. This one is slide 61, if you go to the guide uh, on their website, um, and it's it's entitled Asset Class Returns. And there's um, the way it's laid out um, in a chart with uh, like a heat map with a bunch of colors, color coded for every asset class. And it's about the returns or the performance on a calendar year basis for each year. And so the columns are represented by each year. For example, it goes from 2007, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way up to 2021. And then it actually has the year to date numbers through the previous quarter end. And so um, I'll just, for an example, talk about 2021, the, the returns of the, the, uh, the asset classes that we all track. There's actually, an, what they've done is they've put together an asset class that's a 60-40 portfolio and thrown that in there over, over every single year. So you get to see how a moderate balanced portfolio allocation um, performs relative to the other asset classes listed. So in 2021, um, what the, the top asset class performance was uh, REITs, real estate investment trusts, so that has to do with real estate. Uh, the, the return there was 41.3%. Uh, the second place position goes to large cap stocks, 28.7% for 2021. Commodities, uh, which is 27.1%. Commodities is like gas and oil and corn and the, that type of thing. Small cap stocks, 14.8%. The 60-40 asset allocation balanced model is 13.5% last year. Um, DM equity, um, which is 11.8%. High yield is 1%. Cash is zero. Um, fixed income is negative 1.5%. And uh, EM equity is uh, which is emerging markets equity was down 2.2%. So what's interesting um, about this is your asset allocation model was right in the middle of all of these performers, which is great. 
Um, you're not going to get a lot of the extremes with that asset allocation model that has a mix of all the different asset classes in that portfolio. So uh, on this chart, what you'll see is a balanced portfolio allocation performing right in the middle. And that's exactly what we want. So for 2020, the top performing asset class was small caps at 20%. Uh, emerging market equity or EM equity was 18.7%. Large cap stocks came in third at 18.4% and the asset allocation model uh, performed at 10.6%. DM equity was 8.3, fixed income 7.5, high yield, which is high yield bonds, uh, 7% cash at 50 basis points or half of 1%. Commodities were, were down uh, 3.1% and REITs were the worst performing asset class in 2020 at negative 5.1%. So the reason why I started in 21 and then went back to 2020 is because people remember what happened last year and they don't always remember what happened the year before that as time goes on. Also to point out that REITs were down and were the worst performing asset class of 2020 yet were the best performing asset class of 2021. So uh, one year you might be frustrated with how REITs perform, but then in the next you're celebrating it because man, this is great. Um, I invested in real estate and it did really well. So um, this year, what's interesting uh, through basically the first two quarters of this year, commodities are leading and cash is second and then everything else is down. Uh, it actually in the negative. So even fixed income is down 10.3%. An asset allocation model is down 14.6. High yields down 16 and change. EM equities down 17. REITs are down about 20. So they gave back at least half of what they made last year. Uh, DM equity is down 19. Large caps are down about 20 and small caps are down about 23. Now that's only through this, the, the first two quarters of this year. So it's not like up-to-date data, um, like real-time last week or this week data. But what's interesting about it is you're seeing all the different leading and pull positions switch and change. And it just makes the case for a diversified uh, portfolio strategy that's going to give you a ride that's not going to be one of the extremes. And you're, you're not necessarily betting on, you know, commodities this year or, you know, gold or something and oil or get or financials or whatever, you're gonna invest across a spectrum of securities so that you have a nice uh, diversified approach and a smoother ride. And um, the idea is to limit risk and, and push out returns. So that's the uh, kind of the idea of asset class returns and portfolio strategy when you're trying to build portfolios. Um, you're not trying to pick one in specific asset class to be your winner. You're diversifying across uh, many asset classes. So uh, go out and check that out. It's called Guide to the Markets. And that's slide 61. For those of you who geek out about this stuff like I do, um, I thought it would be important to share for those of you who don't know about this. All right, um, on to the next segment. Here we go. Stay tuned. founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. And every so often I come across an article that um, 
I think is really relevant and important to you guys that would help educate you guys in regards to uh, investing. And so here we go. This article comes from the American Association of Individual Investors Journal, um, I, of which I am a, su a subscriber. And it's written by John Dasher. He's a chartered financial analyst. He's the president and uh, portfolio manager of the Pinnacle Value Fund, a diversified SEC registered mutual fund specializing in the securities of small and micro cap firms. And he's managed equity portfolios for over 30 years. Well, I read this article and I'm like, man, that is really, really good. Albeit, I can't read all of it because it would take too long. Um, but I, I thought that that he and I align a lot on uh, behavioral finance and human behavior is in regards to uh, decision-making. So um, I thought that I should pull some excerpts out of this or adaptations to try to share this information with you. Um, and his article is entitled Six Ways to Lessen the Pain of Contrarian Investing, the Ability to Be Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable, can help you keep your emotional and mental health in check. Funny how that is. Um, and so he's got uh, seven, seven uh, things that we should do or things that we should think about when making decisions. So number one is think long-term. Uh, investing is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and, it, and it may often take time for your investment thesis to play out. And there are speed bumps along the way. Uh, you might be taking two steps forward and one step back. And uh, remember that Mr. Market, which he's talking about is the stock market, is a voting machine in the short term, but a weighing machine in the long uh, term. Um, if you believe your analysis is correct, don't be stampeded out of a position just because price falls. Um, and then number two, uh, know your companies. So before you invest, learn as much about the company as possible. This should include the understanding uh, include the understanding bear case for the stock, meaning what might go wrong. Participate in earnings conference calls. Know, knowing your company well always gives you the conviction to hold on or perhaps buy more when the going gets tough. Read third-party commentary and research too. If possible, bounce your ideas off like-minded investors. You can find other investors who follow the same stock on websites like Seeking Alpha, as well as many others. If many others share the same investment thesis as you do, your thesis may already be embedded in the share price. Contrarians seek out stocks whose potential upside has yet to be recognized by large numbers of other investors. Number three, start small. When we've completed uh, our due diligence on a firm of interest, we'll often establish a small starter position. We'll see how the the shares trade, participate in quarterly conference calls and try to identify additional issues that we have we may have missed. Likewise, when it comes time to sell, we'll often start small and hopefully move the shares out of a out of successively higher prices. Both approaches are less painful than buying or selling a full position immediately. No investor can pick the bottom or top price. So, a gradual approach often works best. Once you have built a starter position, when should you add to it? Well, we are big fans of dollar cost averaging. Figure uh, They have a figure here to look at, but I won't go over that. Assuming no negative news, we generally add to our position in small increments to avoid uh, uh, moving the share price. We often use limit orders on the bid side and 
patiently wait for the share price to reach our limit. We may adjust the limit price up or down depending on how the firm's fundamentals unfold. Number four, staying flexible. Once a decision is made, many of us have trouble altering that decision when we discover we might be wrong. We're committed to the decision even though it may not be right. You buy a stock and the price declines. Why? New information that alters the outlook of the company or industry may have come out. A market decline that takes all the stocks down occurs. Maybe there are just more sellers than buyers on a particular day. A declining stock price is not an automatic reason to sell. Rather, you will want uh, to identify the reason and most importantly, determine whether the issue is temporary or long-term. If you know your company well and believe the adverse situation is temporary, you might consider buying more shares. Some of our biggest gains resulted from temporary declines that allowed us to basically, what, build a large position at favorable prices. So you like it, you buy more because it's down and it's on sale, which moved the needle when prices rebounded. Number five, always take the quote, talking heads end quote with a grain of salt. Investors often give more weight to the opinion of journalists and others than their own better judgment. Sometimes the talking heads are real authority figures, politicians, Federal Reserve officials, company executives, sports and entertainment figures. Try to understand their point of view and whether their statements are fact or opinion. We once knew a portfolio manager who disliked meeting with the executives whom he believed would always spin the company in the most favorable light. He preferred to get his information from independent sources and was quite a successful investor. We're always interested in what management has to say. We spend a lot of time formulating the proper questions to obtain the best information possible and then double checking the answers. That's really good advice. Number six, learn to recognize biases that may hinder your ability to make optimal decisions. Some of the more comp, uh, excuse me, some of the more common biases that bedevil investors are listed uh, on this next page. I might actually go over that in the next segment. The more you're able to limit their impact when making investment decisions, the better your returns will be. So get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hopefully these suggestions will help you avoid or at least minimize the pain that sometimes goes with investing. The ability to be comfortable with being uncomfortable can help you uh, keep your emotional and mental health in check. The Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, and other special operation forces are trained to deal with being wet, cold, tired, and hungry. While they don't enjoy the uncomfortable, learning how to deal with it leads them to make better decisions. The same holds true for investing. Investors who learn how to embrace the pain of investing tend to make better decisions and realize better results. So I just went over the first part of an article that I read in AAII Journal, which is the American Association of Individual Investors. There's an article written by John Dayshire. He is a CFA um, and he runs, uh, he's a portfolio manager of uh some actively managed small and micro cap funds. And, I, and we're just on the same page when it comes to behavioral finance. Here's some biases that he covered in an article that I really like. Maybe these, these uh, things can help you guys in making investment decisions. Uh, these common behavioral biases often be devil investors and make it more difficult to deal with the pain of investing. So confirmation bias. This bias occurs when we embrace a narrative or rhetoric that confirms our thesis while ignoring the facts or evidence that 
challenge our thesis. Keep an open mind and always try to identify perception versus reality. You want to invest on the basis of facts, reasoning and logic, and always be aware of events that may dissuade you uh, from uh, thinking away from these key tenets. Loss aversion bias. For some reason, investors often find losses to be much more painful relative to the joy they realize from a gain of an equivalent amount. So losing $100 feels twice as bad as gaining $100. This often leads an investor to embrace one strategy above all others. Don't lose money. This may cause an investor to sell immediately at the first sign of a loss or worse, to hold on blindly when prices decline in hope of breaking even when it rebounds. Holding a losing position is always challenging. So what should you do? Generally, if something happens that seriously that disrupts our thesis on a long-term basis, we'll sell all or part of the position depending on its size. We can always revisit the investment later. However, the price is down, but the investment thesis remains intact. We'll hold and perhaps buy more at bargain prices. Recency bias. Investors have a tendency to think uh, what happened recently will continue to happen. Stocks that are going up will continue to go up while those declining will continue to fall. Past performance can be a strong driver of investor behavior. Buying a particular stock, fund, or asset class that's gone up generally feels good, at least in the short term. All of us are social animals and like to go to the most popular movies, concerts, restaurants, or sporting events. This is fine when it comes to entertainment, but applying the same behavior to investing can lead investors to buy when the market or a stock is high and sell when it's low. So before you take action on investment, stop and assess whether uh, the actions of others are right for you, and then only then proceed. Disposition bias. This occurs when an investor disposes of a winning stock position to make up for prior losses. This may be a result of taking a profit when it's best to hold on. Assesses each position independently, Take gains if necessary for good reasons, but don't focus on taking gains just to offset losses, especially since those losses can be used to offset other income for tax purposes. Familiarity bias. Investors commonly exhibit a preference for familiar or well-known investments while ignoring unfamiliar investments beyond their comfort zone. While it's important to stay within one's circle of competence, it's also important to stay open to new ideas. Our universe of potential investment ideas is probably a couple hundred firms, all of which we would purchase at the right price. We are very familiar with each company on that list, but that does not stop us from looking at unfamiliar names that come to our attention. Often, after proper due diligence, we, un we understand these unfamiliar names and they're added to our universe with the intention of placing them in the portfolio under the right circumstances. Anchoring bias. This is our tendency to rely heavily on or anchor to a past re uh, reference or piece of information in making a decision. Perhaps an investor has an emotional tie to a certain stock that was received as an inheritance, gift, or employment benefit. While the emotional bond may be strong and the tax base is low, investors should carefully monitor such positions to avoid unpleasant surprises. For some investors, an obvious anchor is the share price. An investor sitting on a loss may vow to sell as soon as the share price returns to break even. By doing so, they give up further gains as the share price moves higher. Alternatively, an investor may refuse to buy until the price returns to a prior low and completely misses the upside when the stock doesn't retest the bottom. Remember, the past share price provides no indication of whether the stock is currently a good value. 
Only the current share price compared to the company fundamentals will tell you that. Hindsight bias. Our tendency to brood over past losses can prevent us from objectively analyzing opportunities going forward. We all make investing mistakes. The important thing is to learn from what we did wrong and move forward. While we often analyze our mistakes to a pinpoint that went wrong, dwelling on the past losses is counterproductive. Oversimplification bias. Most investors want a clear and simple explanation as to why to buy a stock. Unfortunately, it's not always so easy. Modern life is increasingly complex and so is investing. Complexity and uncertainty are part of investing. It's important not to oversimplify or rationalize the decision in order to justify an investment. Sometimes an idea is just too hard to understand. In such cases, we won't waste time trying to do so. However, one of the joys of security analysis is learning new things and we relish every opportunity to do so. So do I over here at Northbound Wealth. Availability bias. Investors often misjudge risks when they rely too heavily on readily available information and underweight the importance of information that isn't readily available. The internet has made realms of data publicly available. Some of it is true, some of it is not. Just because you saw it on the internet does not make it true. Check the source, ask whether it's reputable. We always try to prioritize true information that is fresh in our mind over information we learned a while ago we thought at the time was highly relevant. Perhaps it is still relevant, but needs to be augmented with more recent information to provide a more accurate picture. We always try to filter out the noise to focus on what is knowable and important. And then action bias. Most of us are wired for action and sitting on our hands uh, often makes us feel uncomfortable. This also, the, the <laughs> action bias. And finally, action bias. Most of us are wired for action and sitting on our hands does not often make us feel uh, comfortable. This often leads us to embrace what is trending rather than what is a good value. Resist making portfolio changes just to act. Do your homework and invest in companies that you know well for the long term. Hey, this is Brent Foster here, CEO and founder of Northbound Wealth Management. Just want to point out a couple of things on my website. Number one, the tools section. Under the tools section, it's a section header on my website at www.northboundwealth.com. You'll find our glossary of terms, which has over 200 entries that explain various financial concepts, ideas, and strategies. You can scroll through and find the information as you need, but it's a it's a very helpful resource. Also on that landing page are tax resources. Our tax center was designed to help you access the resources you may need to prepare for the upcoming tax season. You can click on the various links to find tax tools and information. And then I have a set of calculators our calculators are awesome because then you can you can enter in specific data that's unique to you and kind of get some some uh, some more realization around your financial picture. Our collection of calculators it's a it's a great starting point. Uh, if you have a question or concern about your personal finances, you can click on that uh, that section and begin. So um, it's pretty awesome. I I, I like the the ta- the calculators and the tax resources. For one, um, there's a tax calendar 
tax forms, tax publications, and tax rates. So it links up to a lot of these different areas. Um, and that's kind of like drilling down into the tax resources. Uh, if you go into the calculator section, what you'll find are calculators uh, around, uh, say, taxable versus tax deferred savings, how compound interest works. What is my risk tolerance? What is the dividend yield? Uh, the impact of taxes and inflation, saving for college, contributing to an IRA. On the retirement side, you've got looking at systematic withdrawals, saving for retirement. My retirement savings, like how much how much money is going to be there later? Roth 401k versus a traditional 401k. So if you have a 401k plan with an employer, maybe you have both options. Which one should I do? And you can run through some calculus there. Inflation and retirement uh, is another calculator. Potential income from an IRA. So how much income is this going to produce for me uh, down the road? Estimating your required minimum distribution, self-employed retirement plans, or uh, a comparison of annuity options uh, or types, uh, some calculus in regards to that. So then there's uh, tax calculations, estate and insurance calculations, money calculations. So like what is my current cash flow, historical inflation, paying off a credit card, um, insurance wise, it's long-term uh, needs, disability income, lifetime earnings, assessing your life insurance needs. Um, and then there's just like the basic stuff, uh, like lifestyle, uh, is what it's categorized as. Uh, if, so for example, if you're interested in a fuel efficient car, should I buy or lease an auto? Uh, should I pay off debt or invest? How much home can I afford? Can I refinance my mortgage? Comparing mortgage terms. And then maybe like what are biweekly payments looking like on that loan? So there's an awful lot of resources out there that I want to make sure everybody uh, has access to. And if you have a question that isn't covered here, reach out to us um, at www.northboundwealth.com. I think forward slash contact us and it'll drop you into that con uh, contact us page where you can send us a message. The, the resource center on my website um, is the second major area I want to point out. I've got podcast resources. I've got um, a book club. There's a subject matter on investments, uh, retirement, tax, estate, and insurance. And, um, and then also on uh, being generous and um, resources there if you're looking for charitable giving. Thank you for listening to the Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights with your host, Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. Until next week, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.